0: By the way, uh, if we haven't met, my name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors here and grateful to teach God's Word to you. The title today is Lift Off. Lift Off. And I was thinking about it because over the past couple of weeks, uh, the eyes of our country, the eyes of the world have been once again on our community. Because over Labor Day weekend, a rocket that is currently sitting on a launch pad, Artemis 1, was getting ready to go into space, Uh, NASA were sending uh, people back to the moon over the next few uh, years and next decade, and so people have been really excited about what is going to happen in our community with the space program. But over Labor Day weekend, uh, 600,000 people came from all over to our community to watch Artemis One launch, only to be discouraged when, uh, not once but twice, the launch was scrubbed. And the reason the launch was scrubbed is because they were having trouble uh, getting fuel into the rocket and keeping fuel into the rocket. And the reason for that, they're using liquid hydrogen. I am an expert now. I've watched a six-minute video on it. (laughs) And apparently, the molecules are very small and hard to contain. Now, we're excited because uh, in a few weeks, Artemis is going to launch again. We're believing the best. For NASA as that happens. But as I was thinking about it, I was reflecting that that can be a picture of many Christians in their lives. You see, right now, Artemis is a powerful rocket, most powerful ever built, incredibly expensive rocket. Uh, by the way, on behalf of NASA, thank you to each of you for your contribution to the <laughs> rocket. And, and, and it's still sitting on the launch pad 40 miles north of here, because it still needs power to get off the ground. And for you and I, as Christians, Jesus has done great things in our life. Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. It says in Second Peter that everything we need for life and for godliness is currently available to us. So the question is, why is it that there are so many Christians, maybe even in this room and online, that feel powerless as they move through their Christian life. They don't feel victorious. They don't feel like they can overcome sin. They don't feel bold in their witness. That they feel defeated, and maybe you walked in here today and you love Jesus, but you feel defeated. You don't feel like you can step into everything that God has for you. Well, the reality is that just like Artemis needs power, you and I, we need power in our Christian lives. And in fact, the last thing that Jesus ever said to his disciples before he went to heaven is about this topic. Jesus dies, he rises again, and he spends time with his disciples. But before he leaves, he gives a really, really interesting instruction, and it's up on the screen. In Acts chapter 1, it says, On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you heard me speaking about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke, he puts it like this in his account. He's Jesus speaking. He says, stay in the city. Don't leave until you are clothed with power from on high. So I want you to write this down. This is the big idea of our teaching, and I want to get this deep down inside of us, that Jesus considered the Holy Spirit to be essential, not optional, in our lives. I'll put it again, that Jesus considered the Holy Spirit to be essential, not optional, for his disciples. Now, Jesus, he he didn't think that the Holy Spirit was like coffee. Let me explain what I mean by that. How many people believe that they absolutely need coffee to function in their daily lives? (laughs) Actually, this service wasn't as bad. Everybody in the 9 a.m. service was like, yes, please. Now, a lot of people will say things like this. They'll say, look, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Like, I'm not myself until I've had my coffee. Like, Brian, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? Read your Bible? Actually, no. The first thing I do is make my coffee. Then I can know how to read my Bible. I can be coherent enough to read my Bible. But the thing is, like, we, we would consider many people, myself included, like, coffee to be essential. The reality, though, is the actual definition is coffee is not essential. Very important, very grateful that I can have coffee every day, but we could, in fact, survive without it. This is a shock for some people. (laughs) And it would be a tough week as we detoxed, but we could do it. No, Jesus wants us, and what I want us to get down in our heart, is that the Holy Spirit is like oxygen, that we cannot survive without it. Jesus never intended us to survive without the power of the Holy Spirit. God did not want us to to live without him in our lives. Now we got to talk about something really quick because when we talk about the Holy Spirit often there are two camps within the church and I like to call them the woe camp and the go camp and I'll explain what I mean. The woe camp when we talk about the Holy Spirit, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I didn't sign up for this. What's going to happen? They start looking around like is something weird about to happen. And, and I remember, actually, I led a missions team to, to another country about six years ago. And, and we went into a church, and we all had uh, what I would consider to be an unhealthy experience, Where a pastor uh, wasn't operating in the spirit, but more operating in the flesh and kind of uh, forcing and coercing some things to happen. And it was a very uncomfortable situation. And after we left, we had to debrief and say, guys, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was that man in his flesh. And maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've walked into a church and been very uncomfortable. Maybe you've been pressured to fake like you were performing in some way to, for people to consider you spiritual. And maybe you've even seen things on TV that you're like, man, I, I just don't like this. So there's people that they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The other camp is the go camp, which what I mean by that is like when they hear the Holy Spirit, they're like, let's go. It's about to get good in here, right? Like the people in the go camp, you're like, Brian, If you need, I will kick off my shoes, and I will anoint every person in here with oil. (laughs) Just you wait. Now, historically, the church has sometimes been divided that there's word people and there's spirit people. And and what I want to tell you is that we are not an either-or church. We are a both-and church. We do believe in the power of the word. We believe in doctrine. We believe in theology. We believe in teaching practically so that we can learn scripture. But we also believe in the power of the Holy Spirit because if we're word people, the word teaches us that the Holy Spirit is not optional. The Holy Spirit is essential for our lives. And so as a church, we want to learn, and today we're going to learn, who is the Holy Spirit and how can we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, how can we have liftoff in our Christian life? So let's start in John chapter 16, verse 5. Hopefully you're there by now. And we're going to read starting there. And it says in verse 5, Jesus speaking, Now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. This gives us great context for where we're at. Earlier, about two chapters ago, Jesus has shared with his disciples that the time has come for him to go to the cross. He's gonna leave, he's going back to heaven. And his disciples are devastated. And so for three chapters, Jesus gives his final teaching to his disciples and in that teaching, he provides comfort, he provides clarity, he provides application, that helps, him, that helps disciples move forward in life. And so this is what he's doing. Now look with me at verse seven. This is very, very important. We're gonna camp out here for a minute. Jesus says in verse seven, John 16, seven, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. It's good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, everybody say advocate. The advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. The advocate is the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying is, it's actually good that I'm leaving. Because if I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Another translation, Jesus says, it's better that I go. Now now think about this. The disciples have been with Jesus for three years. Woken up and, and took in walks with him. Camped with him. Ate food with him. The disciples have seen him do teachings. They've seen him do miracles. He has personally mentored them. And now Jesus is saying, it is actually a good thing that I leave. I have something better than even me walking physically on the earth. So, So imagine he speaks to Andrew and he says, Andrew, remember how I walked with you on the Sea of Galilee and I taught you how to pray? I got something better than that for you. Peter, remember when I called you to walk on water and to actually do that powerful miracle? There's something better for you. And actually, to our church today, he's saying, I have something incredible for you. I have a special gift for you. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? We have to understand this. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an energy. The Holy Spirit's not a vibe that we can kind of tap into. The Holy Spirit is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're getting God himself moving in. God living with us to guide us and to walk with us. Now, we have to understand this, and we're going to start with some foundational theology to help us understand who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit has many roles in our lives, but when it comes to our relationship to the Holy Spirit, we can kind of think about three different words. Now we're going to learn three Greek words here. I believe in you guys. You don't even need coffee. You've just told me only like five people in here raised their hand and said they need coffee. So like you guys are ready. Okay, so we're going to put three Greek words on the on the screen. First, everybody say para. Everybody say in, and everybody say epi. Okay. Para means beside. It's the Greek word for beside. And in the Bible, there are times when it says that the, the Holy Spirit is para, beside people. Now, what we would believe what that means is that if you're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes beside you to convict you and tell you that you need to become a Christian. So, if you in here have become a Christian, there is a moment that has happened in your life where you realized, I need a savior. My sin is separating me from God and I need God in my life. The Holy Spirit, para, has come beside you to guide you to Jesus. If you haven't had that moment, man, today is your day. The Spirit's going to come alongside you and draw you to Jesus. We believe that. The second word is in, and it's the, it's the English word in. It's, it's pretty easy, sound the same. But that means that the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Christian. The Holy Spirit is living in you. And the third word is epi, or on, or upon. And that means the Holy Spirit fills and empowers believers. And I'm going to talk about that a lot this morning. Now, to get started, I just want to give an illustration of this, because sometimes it's a little bit hard for us to understand. Now, earlier I talked about Artemis 1, and I really wanted to get like a model of Artemis on the stage, and, and I just couldn't do it, couldn't make it happen. So I think I have something that's almost as good. Um, w- when I was growing up, I absolutely loved Legos, and I can't wait to play Legos with my sons. And I have a Lego model here of the Apollo 11 lunar module. Shout out, the eagle has landed, okay? <laughs> this, is my, um, this is not my Lego set, but when you're a pastor like me, You have a Lego guy, okay? So I have a Lego guy. Now, stay with me. I know some of you guys are deep, mature theologians, and this is going to be you know, beneath you, but I think this is going to be helpful, okay? So we're going to imagine that this lunar module is the Christian life. This is us following Jesus and walking with Jesus. And we're going to imagine these two little guys, this one is going to be us, and this one is going to be the Holy Spirit, okay? So remember, the first is para, beside. And so before you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit, he comes beside you and he convicts you. And he says, you need to become a Christian. So he's beside you and he's encouraging you, get on the lunar module, become a follower of Jesus. And so when you become a Christian, after you uh, obey the Holy Spirit and respond to the Holy Spirit, you become a Christian. And so now the Holy Spirit lives within or in you. Your body is a temple of the Spirit. So together, you are uh, walking through life because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Para, and now in. Now, the third is epi, upon, the Holy Spirit filling you and empowering you. This would mean that not only does the Holy Spirit live in you, but the Holy Spirit gives you liftoff. The Holy Spirit launches you and gives you the power in your Christian life. The Holy Spirit energizes you and helps you to overcome sin. Gives you boldness to share your faith. You understand? Okay, para and an epi. Now, we've built our foundation. Now, let's keep going. Look with me at verse 8 of John chapter 16. And in verse 8, it says this. Jesus, now he's going to be talking about that para-beside relationship. He says, when he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in him. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. So he's saying the non-Christian needs to understand three things. Sin, that everyone is a sinner. Righteousness, that in order to become a Christian, we need to be righteous, The only way we can be righteous is Jesus makes us righteous. And then judgment. If we don't believe in Jesus, if we don't respond, then we will stand before God in judgment. And so the Holy Spirit, he convicts the the sinner and he says, hey, you need to come and respond to Jesus. So he's alongside. By the way, man, I'm hoping and praying that today there are people in here that need to meet Jesus. And right now, the Holy Spirit is alongside of you. And he's prompting you and he's encouraging you and he's saying, listen, receive, walk in the power of God. Walk towards Jesus. Okay, so that's number one. Look at verse 8. Sorry, excuse me. Look at verse 12. So para, we've talked about para. Now we're going to talk about in that second role of the spirit in verse 12. Jesus says this. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So here Jesus is talking about the Spirit living in us. And he says he will guide you. He will teach you. Earlier in John 14, he said he will comfort you. He will counsel you. He will direct you. And so the Spirit lives with us and walks with us as Christians. But we need to understand something very important. Look with me at verse 13. He, he says he will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. Look at verse 14. He will glorify me because it is from me That he will receive what he will make known to you. We need to understand that the goal of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to the Holy Spirit. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to draw attention to Jesus. Now, when we experience the Holy Spirit, oftentimes powerful things happen in our lives. There are times when we pray for the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit. And people become emotionally overwhelmed. There are tears. Sometimes there's powerful things that happen in their lives. Addictions are broken. Mental habits and hangups are broken. There is peace. And so we're not saying that when the Holy Spirit comes, nothing happens. But what we need to realize is that oftentimes what gets blamed on the Spirit isn't necessarily the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit's goal is not to say, hey, look at me. The Spirit's goal is to point to Jesus and to guide to Jesus. And so when you see someone, and, and, and there are churches, there are, there are instances where people will be sprinting up and down the aisles. Or like clucking like chickens or barking like dogs. And, and I mean, that, that happens from time to time in different places. And, and people will say, I'm just, I'm just full of the Spirit. And I have to ask the question, is that true? Because the Spirit's not trying to say, hey, look at me. The Spirit's trying to say, hey, look at Jesus. And so we got to understand that and we got to understand what's happening. Now, we've talked about para, the spirit comes alongside a non believer. We've talked about in, the spirit lives inside a believer. Now we're going to talk about epi, the spirit comes upon or the spirit fills the power, fills a believer's life with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is called the filling of the Holy Spirit. You can use those two words interchangeably. And over the next few moments, I do want us to understand what it is. And so I'm going to teach you four things about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First off, here's what we need to understand. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an initial specific moment and it's a continual lifestyle. So it's an initial specific moment and it's a continual lifestyle. And by the way, for each of these points, I'm going to be sharing scripture with you. I don't want you to just think, oh, this is Brian's idea here. We, we get these ideas directly from the word of God. And so we're, we're, we're looking and we're understanding what does the Bible teach. And so let's talk first about the initial specific moment. Remember what I told you. Jesus told his disciples, I saved you. I've called you. I've sent you on mission. But don't go anywhere. Stay in the city and wait for the power of God. And then this happens, Acts chapter 2, it says on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I want you to notice two things from this. The first thing I want you to notice is that something happened that radically changed these disciples. Now, remember, about a month and a half earlier, 40 days earlier, Jesus dies, every disciple scatters in fear, they're hiding. They're hiding the entire time. When Jesus comes back, he finds them behind a locked door. Even in Acts 1, they're asking questions that would indicate they still don't understand what Jesus is calling them to do. But now, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and everything changes. They're filled with the power of God, with the presence of God, and their first reaction is they preach the message of God. And actually, in Acts 2, what we see is that 3,000 people get saved. And so something powerful happens. I want you to notice that. The second thing, and we're going to take a little side tangent here because I want to explain something. The second thing that you may have noticed is that they started speaking in tongues. Now, the woe crowd, when that happens, maybe when they hear tongues, they start to get a little worried. And oftentimes, tongues is associated with the baptism of the Holy Spirit oftentimes when we speak about it. So I want to explain for a moment, what is tongues? When the New Testament talks about tongues, what does that mean? And I hope to make it very clear, because sometimes it can be confusing. Confusing things are scary to us. I don't think it's scary. I think it's a beautiful thing that, 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 that is a reality of Scripture. So let's make it clear. First off, the New Testament can talk about, it talks about tongues in three different ways. The first way is that tongues can be the Holy Spirit giving a Christian the ability to speak a known language that they don't currently know. So an example would be you're walking down the road and you start walking with someone and you realize that they only speak Russian and you don't speak Russian. But all of a sudden you find yourself speaking Russian and talking to them about the gospel and talking to them about God. Now, that's actually what happened in Acts 2. That has happened in history. There's recorded instances of people doing that. I wouldn't say it's incredibly common, but sometimes the Holy Spirit can give someone that supernatural ability in order to help someone come to know Jesus. So that's the first type of tongues. The second type of tongues that the Bible talks about is what we would call a personal, private prayer language. God gives you the ability to speak to God in a language that's not your language, and really what, how I would describe it is that it's you just pouring out your heart to God. The best way I know how to say is that there are things in our Christian life that we want to pray to God, but we don't have words for. We want to talk about how amazing God is. We're going through deep agony or deep sorrow, and we just don't have the words. We want to just cry out with our hearts to God, and we don't know how to do it. And so the Holy Spirit can give us the gift of tongues as a way in our personal quiet time, in our personal private time with him as a blessing to us, to help us connect with God. The Apostle Paul, he talks about and he says, I pray with my mind and I also pray with my spirit. And so the Holy Spirit can give us that gift. And guess what? The Apostle Paul actually tells us, desire that gift. He said, I wish you spoke in tongues as much as I did. I wish all of y'all spoke in tongues as much as I did. That's what Paul says. And so he encourages us. That's actually a beautiful gift that we can desire. Now, not everyone is going to receive that gift. Maybe you are taught that the Holy Spirit, or that, that speaking in tongues is how you know you've been baptized with the Spirit. Or even some people go so far as to say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. 100% false. In First Corinthians 12 Paul says not every Christian will speak in tongues, but it is a gift. The third uh, third expression of tongues is that in a a gathered church service like this, that someone would stand up and speak a uh, message in tongues and someone else would interpret it. Now, in our church, in the gathered service and an organized thing, this is not something that we practice. And the reason is, the Apostle Paul, he explains that the gathered church service is for two purposes. Number one, the purpose is for us as believers to be encouraged and to be built up in our faith. And number two, it's for people who don't know Jesus to meet Jesus in a way that makes sense to them. And so what he says is, if, if there's a church gathering where tongues are happening and where it's wild and disorderly, number one, the believers aren't going to be edified because they're not going to know what's going on. And number two, unbelievers are going to be confused and not be able to connect with Jesus. And so he says, yes, I wish everyone, or, or I wish you, you spoke in tongues as much as I did. But he also says, when we're gathered together, I would rather speak five words with my mind than a thousand words with my spirit. Because he says that my, that when I speak in my spirit to God, that that's blessing me. But when I speak with logical words, that's blessing everybody. And so again, the goal of the gathered service is we want to build each other up and we want to say a message in a way that blesses non-believers. That makes sense? Okay, awesome. So remember, I took a little side tangent. The main point I was trying to say is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an initial moment and it's a continual lifestyle. Now we talked about the initial moment in Acts 2. Let's talk about the continual lifestyle. Look with me at Acts 4. This is the same group of people, by the way. Not a different group of disciples, exact same disciples. It says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now wait. I thought they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. They were. They needed to be filled again with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Ephesians 5, it says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word is be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the practical application for us. Some of us in here, we are just learning for the first time about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At the end of our service, we're going to pray for you to be filled. Many of us, if we've been around this church, we know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you still need to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Amen? And so listen, if you're a parent, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit as you parent your kids. If you're a student, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit tomorrow when you go to school. If you're a college student, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can be a bold witness for Jesus. If you're a leader in your business, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To have the mind of Jesus as you lead, to have compassion for your coworkers, I want us to realize and I want us to understand... Holy Spirit, not optional for believers. It is essential. He is essential. God has called us, Jesus is telling us that we need to desire the Holy Spirit and understand he is like oxygen for us. Amen? Amen? Okay. So he is an initial, or the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's an initial experience and it's a continual lifestyle. Number two thing we need to know is this, that the initial moment can happen during or it can happen after conversion. There are examples in acts of each. I'll show you two. Uh, In Acts chapter 10, what happens is there is a man named Cornelius and his family. Uh, They are non-believers, but they are very interested in the things of God. And so Peter goes and preaches to them. And it says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. That word, came on all. That's epi, upon, came upon all. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. So non-believers, they get saved. Immediately they receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone there is like, well, we might as well water baptize them because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's an example where uh, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens uh, during conversion. But there are also examples where people who are already believers first get baptized with the Spirit. Acts chapter 8. This is in Samaria, and Peter and John go up to minister to some people who have heard the gospel. And it says, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Spirit. So notice, these are new believers They have been baptized, so they actually have the Spirit indwelling inside of them, but they need the power and the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. So just like I'm teaching you right now, Peter and John, they teach these believers in Samaria, and they say, hey, you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they pray, and they're filled with the Spirit. So that's number two. Number three, this is what we need to know. Remember, just to recap— baptism of the Spirit, it's an initial specific moment, and it's a continual lifestyle. Number two, the initial moment can happen during or after conversion. Then number three, the Holy Spirit fills our lives with the presence and with the power of God. And so I want you to picture in your mind the picture of a boat. And that boat has sails, but it's sitting on still water. The Holy Spirit is called the wind. So the wind blows and it fills the sails and now the boat can move forward. Picture in your mind again that picture of Artemis sitting on the launch pad. That rocket needs fire. The Holy Spirit is called fire. That there's fire that, that launches and propels that on its mission. Well, you and I, we need the wind. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit filling us with the presence, filling us with the power of God to move forward in what God has called us to do. And then number four, this is the the last thing we're going to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I think this is so important, that the filling of the Spirit happens in both the breakthrough and in the process. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I'll talk first about the idea of breakthrough. When I say breakthrough, what I mean is that there is a significant moment that happens in your life that's very obvious, and sometimes... When someone is baptized or filled in the Spirit, it's a very obvious thing that they have an emotional reaction. Uh, so, sometimes, even people can, can feel something physical, there, there can be tears. God can remove an addiction, God can bring incredible peace where there was anxiety, God can bring incredible joy in a really challenging situation. God can bring deep love, and and it's just this obvious thing. Sometimes people are so overwhelmed they need to sit or they need to kneel. And so that can't happen. And when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's a possibility that that can happen. But there's also, oftentimes what happens is when someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they would say, I don't necessarily feel anything. I'm not feeling emotional. But what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to work in a process and you look back in three months, six months, a year, and you realize, man, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened in my life, and God moved in a powerful way. That is what happened to me. I learned first about the Holy Spirit about uh, 10 and a half years ago when I was here, and I was a young believer. And I was invited to a class, and during that class, they told me, and they told all of us, they said, hey, next week, we're going to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to come with expectation. I want you to be excited. And so I was excited and I went. And uh, Pastor Dave Folkerts, he was sharing his testimony about how he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so he began to share. And and it was a really beautiful testimony, a really powerful testimony. He shared some of it with us. And just amazing to see uh, what God, how God was working in his life. But but, uh, kind of a, a wild thing happened, okay? So I'm sitting in the class, Pastor Dave sharing. And he... Is leading up to the point, and he's starting to say, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And as soon as he says, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, the fire alarms in the room go off. <laughs> and I was like, God, you're real. This is real. I believe it. I don't need any more proof. It was wild. So he invited and he said, Hey, you remember that, Pastor Dave? That was crazy. So he 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 invited us and he said, Hey, come up and and, and pray with the pastor. And so I went up and I prayed with one of our pastors and he prayed for me and he said, he said, I just pray that Brian will be filled with the spirit. And and I believed and I received it. But to be honest, I didn't have an emotional reaction. Like I left there and I was content. I was peaceful, but I wasn't crying. I wasn't, you know, speaking in tongues or anything. And so I left and I just believed, you know what? God, I believe you gave me your spirit. and I'm expecting you to move. And here's what happened. Over the next six months, my life began to radically change. God began to give me the power to overcome an addiction to pornography. I've been free from that for nine and a half years now. Amen. God began to call me to ministry. God began to give me uh, the gift of teaching and the gift of preaching. God began to, to align my life and set me up in such a way that I would be passionately following him, growing in my faith, maturing. And so I look back uh, almost ten and a half years from now, and I'm like, I was baptized in the Spirit. It worked. It happened. I didn't feel this crazy emotion in the moment, but the Spirit did a powerful work in my life. And so even today, in just a few moments, I want to encourage you. There's going to be people in here that, You feel something, and you're like, this is real. There's going to be people that we're just going to have to believe that God has given us that gift and walk out in expectation that he's moving. Now, here's the question. What does Jesus want to do in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit's goal? Because remember, the Holy Spirit, he is not a rogue agent. He's not out trying to do crafty things behind the back of God and Jesus. He's on mission doing the work of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, I believe that he has three things that he wants to do in each and every one of our lives. And I want to put these up, and I want us to get these deep down into our hearts as we think about this. The vision of the Holy Spirit for our lives. Number one, the Holy Spirit wants us to be with Jesus. Everybody say, be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Number two, the Holy Spirit wants us to become like Jesus. Everybody say, become like Jesus. Become like Jesus. And number three, the Holy Spirit wants us to do what Jesus did. Everyone say it. Do what Jesus did. So what does this mean? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit leads you to be with Jesus, he's going to teach you how to read his word. He's going to teach you how to understand his word. He's going to give you a love for the scripture, a love for prayer, a desire to connect with God. He's going to remind you hour by hour, minute by minute, that he is with you. When you're filled with the Spirit and the Holy Spirit helps you to become like Jesus, he's going to start to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. There's going to be people in here that you're going to be filled with a deep sense of peace like you've never experienced before. You're going to be filled with a joy when you walked in here uh, clouded in darkness. You're going to be filled with a love for people. A woman came up to me last night and she said, The baptism of the Holy Spirit's given me a a love for people. I want to love people the way Jesus loved me. The Holy Spirit is going to help you to do what Jesus did. He's going to give you boldness for evangelism. He's going to open up gifts in your life so that you can serve our church, so that you can serve your neighborhood, so that you can serve your college campus, so that you can serve your high school campus, so that you can serve where you work. The Holy Spirit may call some of us to be church planners, to be pastors, to be ministry leaders, to be missionaries. When the Holy Spirit baptizes us, powerful things happen. And so here's the question, and this is how we'll close. The band's going to come out, but how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, R.A. Tory, he gives us a really practical six-step process. And I think this is super helpful. First off, we want to accept Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, many people have done that, but there are some who haven't, and so we're going to pray in just a moment. Secondly, we repent and we renounce sin. Now, in just a moment, the band is going to play a song, and as they're playing, we're going to have a reflection time, and we're going to be able to confess any known sin to God, and not just to confess it, but to renounce it, to say, I want this to be far from me. I want to abandon it, I want to forsake it, because I want to pursue Jesus, Number three is absolute surrender to God. Number four is intense desire for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And again, as we're praying or as we're singing, we're going to be surrendering to God. We're going to be asking God, God, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want the filling of the Holy Spirit. Number five is a definite prayer for the baptism of the Spirit. And after uh, we we sing, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to pray for us as a church. And the number six is faith. I want to speak on this for a moment. Faith. See, when we leave here, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't just for us to feel good in here. It's for us to bless the world. And the way that we activate our faith is that we take small steps this week as the Holy Spirit leads us. See, so many people they think, "Man, I want to love people, but I don't know how to do it." And this week Jesus is going to give you opportunities to love people. They may not seem big. You may not be flying across the world to minister to orphans, but the Holy Spirit will lead you to love people. And as you step into those, ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and he will. The same thing with with, with sharing the gospel. So many people, man, I'm so afraid to share the gospel. Well, I have found that, that usually I'm afraid and then as I open my mouth, as I begin to speak, The Holy Spirit fills me and gives me boldness. So the faith is saying, I believe that you've given me the Spirit. I believe you've filled me. I'm going to take the step. And as I take the step, I trust you're going to meet me there. And so it's up to us to take the step. The Spirit's probably not going to force us. He's not going to shove us into the moment. We have to take the step into the moment. But he has promised, he has filled us, he will fill us, and he's going to be there with us. So let's bow our heads right now and let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of the Spirit. We need it. We are desperate for it. May we realize our desperation. And even in this moment, God, I pray that you would give us peace, quiet our hearts, give us focus so that we may hear from you. For anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus, who's not a Christian, the Holy Spirit has been beside you today, pointing you to Jesus Maybe you've been coming to church for years and years. But the Holy Spirit is now saying it's time for you to come home. Maybe it's your first time and you're just checking out and you realize the need for Jesus. Right now I want to lead you in a prayer. Just pray this, say, "Dear God, I know I'm far from you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Help me to follow you. I know I'm forgiven." I know I'm your son, I know I'm your daughter. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now if you prayed that prayer, if you were believed it, if you received the gift of Jesus, Jesus has saved your life. And now you can pray to receive the Holy Spirit.